Hey, this is Russ from Good Riddance. You are listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with a brand new episode and a very special guest host, Casey of Iodine Recordings himself. Hey, Keith. Good to be back on the show again. It's great to have you here, and it's great to be doing the show with somebody again, because I haven't done that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's good to catch up every once in a while. Well, folks, we've got a special one today. Today's guest is Travis Opal of Hey Thanks. They've got a new album coming out on Iodine Recordings called Start Living. We spoke to Travis. We covered it all. Travis's history, the band's history. There's some really interesting and funny stories in this one as well. I'm not going to spoil it. So that's coming up momentarily. All right, folks. So here it comes. You know what's coming. I need your support. We need your support. Support the new scene. You have to. Number one. We need Apple Podcasts and Spotify reviews. Open up your Apple Podcasts app. Give us a five-star review. And if you write a nice review on top of that, I'll read it on the show. Spotify reviews, we need those too. Keep them coming in. I really appreciate everyone's support. I need to get over 100, and I need your help to get there. Also, a reminder, we have a shirt available for sale. Your purchase of this shirt can help directly fund the show. Head over to Death Wish Inc., search the new scene. The shirt will pop right up. It's there. It's available. It looks great. People are wearing them. We love it. We need it. Keep them coming. And there's some exciting new scene news I'm going to drop on you right now. Number one, we have a new YouTube clips channel. It's going to be highlights from some of our favorite episodes. Check it out. It's linked in our main YouTube page. It's called The New Scene Clips. Easy, simple. And we have a TikTok account now. Yes, we have entered the 22nd What is this? The 21st or the 22nd century, Casey? I don't even know. I'll I'll get it (laughs) wrong and everyone's going to make fun of me. (laughs) We've entered the modern age. We have a TikTok. I'm posting clips from my Twitch stream there now. There will also be clips from our show. Follow it. New Scene Pod. We are out there. And I'm back on Twitch. I've been streaming regularly, playing Warzone. Drop on in, chat, hang out. We can talk about the show. We can talk about games. We can talk about whatever. And there you go. There's a lot of exciting things happening at the new scene, Casey. I mean, aren't you excited? Yeah, I I think this show has really kind of taken off since, you know, the partnership started. And we've had some incredible guests recently. And honestly, some of my heroes from my youth, like especially Tim Barry, who that interview was so cool to hear just how genuine and sincere that guy is after hearing stories about that for so long. Um, really excited to have him on the show, but also you and I know who's coming and that's probably the most exciting thing. I mean, I think the next two months is just all, you know, all-star grand slam interviews and, uh, I think people are going to be really excited to see see what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, folks, so strap in. The excitement never stops here at the new scene. Now, Casey, since the man himself is here right now, deliver to the people 
the iodine recordings updates. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on at the label as always. Lay it on us. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that we dropped this past week was uh, the signing of Stretch Armstrong uh, to the iodine roster. And it's a really cool partnership, You know, a band with 30-year history and just a really dedicated, amazing fan base. Excited to have them, you know, you know, as part of the label, just some of the nicest, genuine, most genuine guys. And I can't say exactly what we have coming from them, but I think that fans of the band will be pretty excited. Um, other than that, we're gearing up for a bunch of summer releases. You know, we just dropped the Her Heads on Fire pre-order, which is up now. And that's uh, Joe from Garrison uh, and members of Saves the Day, The Bomb. Uh, small brown bike, really good kind of post-hardcore rock and roll type stuff. And, you know, we've got a bunch of bands getting ready for tours. We've got uh, festivals coming up this fall. I mean, really, I feel like Iodine right now is almost, it almost feels bigger than it was 20 years ago, you know, when when the label was at its height, just with the amount of stuff we have going on and the amount of releases we have planned. Yeah, I, I was really happy to see that Stretch Armstrong is now with the label. Yeah. And, you know, it goes back to the the label's philosophy, you know, which is, you know, we look for great music, but we also, and probably more so, look for good people. And, you know, we've, we've really fostered, you know, a kind of teamwork mentality and all of our artists get along and talk together and work together. And to me, it's creating, you know, kind of a community around the label. It's not just about putting records out. It's about, you know, kind of curating, you know, good music from from people who really deserve it. Absolutely. And there's a lot more exciting stuff coming. We'll keep it very vague, but we've got some really big announcements coming later this summer. And in more music news, sadly, Gabe Serbian of The Locust has passed away. This was just announced. He joined the band playing guitar in 1998 and then switched to drums in 2001. And I remember discovering The Locust around 1999, and I dug them because it was just this really technical, crazy music, which I was really into at the time. So sad to hear about his passing. Our condolences to The Locust and all of the friends and family of Gabe Serbian. Yeah, it's it's really sad. And I know, you know, both Gabe and you know the other members of The Locust have just been so influential on kind of the entirety of our scene. Um, the Locusts were really game changers in music. You know, I, I I think I first heard them in like 96 when they did that split with Jenny Piccolo. And, you know, what they were doing at that time was so different and groundbreaking. And it really changed the trajectory of, you know, the, this kind of post-hardcore or chaotic hardcore music for from then until now. And I think that um, that band just were visionaries and just trying to really push the envelope of, you know, what they could do musically and their their technical precision was just kind of unmatched, you know, in that time period. Okay, so we're out of time for this segment. Check back in with us in segment three to hear how we are doing. But right now, we are going to speak to Travis Opal of Hey Thanks. Enjoy. Expectations, will I sit up to break them? Is this what's best for your health? Stop, they say, don't wanna take it on the same road. 
All right, folks, I'm here now with Travis Opal. Travis, welcome to the show. Hi. It's wonderful to have you here, Travis. You know, I discovered your band this year because you are, of course, part of the Iodine Recordings family now. I love what I hear. I can't wait to hear more. And, you know, we're going to get to all that stuff. We're going to get there. But first, I have to ask you, Travis, how are you doing today? Um, Today, I'm doing pretty good. I worked this morning. It's also my mother's birthday. So shout out oh. to Sherry Opal. Happy birthday, Big 59. She's she's kicking it. Nice. Happy birthday, Sherry. Yes. She's the, I guess we all consider her the band mom. So, you know, shouts to Sherry. That's nice. That's nice. What do you do for your job? Um, I literally work at Chipotle uh, right now. Really? Yeah, I work out. Um, it's close to New Orleans, but it's kind of technically this little offset city called Harahan. It's like probably 15 minutes out of the city. But I actually, I'm moving to New Orleans with our drummer Trevor this summer. So right now, I'm actually commuting to Harahan like an hour from uh, where my job's at. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you lived in the city of New Orleans before? Uh, I did one time, but it was like literally for just a summer. And, um, and then I had moved back because of uh i don't remember if it was because of financial circumstances or relationship circumstances but uh yeah i ended up moving back to a little town like an hour away from new orleans and uh pretty much posted up there and since the pandemic but i'm trying to get back out yeah you know i moved i used to live in pennsylvania i moved into philly for a year and then i was going to move back with my parents and it only lasted about a week because we drove each other nuts but I'm glad that happened because it pushed me back out to living on my own, which I think was the best thing. Yeah, yeah. Luckily for me, I feel like I've never had an issue with like me and my mom because like, if anything, I feel like she's always been a big advocate for like music and stuff like that. So anytime I've moved back in or done whatever, like it was, you know, it's always been really chill and she's been real supportive of, you know, whatever we try doing. So. And that's going to be exciting. I mean, you're going to be in New Orleans with your bandmate, living, doing stuff. That's got to be fun, right? Oh, yeah. Um, we're trying to find a, some sort of nice rent house once like all the college kids move out for summer break because we want to like, we kind of want to just set up like a little studio space and start trying to get local artists in to record and kind of start, I guess, another community because uh, I feel like New Orleans, while there are small variables and groups that like have their niches, I feel like I feel like there's not a huge alternative music community in New Orleans, you know? Yeah, that was going to be my question because I've heard a lot about New Orleans and the music scene, but I wonder is there any hardcore or punk or alt scene down there? I guess it does it sounds like not so much based on what you're saying. Uh yeah, I mean there there's a group that uh we're a part of it's a lot of bands from uh, a couple bands from New Orleans and a couple bands from uh, the Baton Rouge area, which is like an hour away. And we we kind of call it like Mope Wave, which is this term. I'm not sure who made it up, but uh, it's just kind of a terminology for like all the collective Louisiana bands that we have that we're trying to like you know make a community out of. And uh, but yeah, as far as as far as like hardcore or like punk scenes. I feel like there was many times in the 
southeast region of Louisiana where like there would be bands that would uh, form and get together, but I don't think every anything ever really solidified to be like a long term thing. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I guess it's more. There, I know there was a lot of sludge type stuff going on down there. You have uh, down and uh down that's the only band i can think of <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna say like uh i'm not too familiar with that community either i mean i know we have like i had god and uh yeah there's a a band from a city in lafayette that actually signed the metal blade called capra which they're really cool they're playing furnace fest i think um oh nice yeah they're it's a cool hardcore band um well hardcore they're like a mixture of things but uh yeah, there's just I, I feel like there's like bands that sometimes break the mold of the scene, but uh, at least from my personal view, I feel like it never contributes to like um, I guess you know what they had in like New York and Boston, where like bands kind of like rode and became this huge wave. If if yeah, you know what whatever happened during like the '90s and early 2000s, you know, it's never been a thing down here. Maybe Hey Thanks will be the first band to kick off some major things in New Orleans. What about that? Uh, I hope so. I, I think. <laughs> I think if anything, maybe it's it'll rather go like everybody's like, oh, let's support, let's support Hey Thanks, and like all ride this big wave together, or they'll all have like one common enemy, and they'll all like want to attack us, and like, which would be cool, <laughs> be cool too, like to have a like this almost uh, this little war between like us and like everybody in Louisiana it might be a cool script. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. What was that movement that you said you guys are starting Mope Wave? Yeah, it's it's called Mope Wave. Uh there's there's a couple I love that. There's a couple of local bands I'll shout out like uh um Wonder Kid, Baby in the 90s, um The Nocturnal Broadcast. There's a cool band Rio Rosa and that they're all different styles, but we I guess collectively just call it Mope Wave because it's I guess a unified way to bring everybody together i like that i'm i'm imagining music that is upbeat and can often even be poppy like yours but somewhat melancholy as well does that fit the bill very much so i i I would say like like with baby in the 90s and uh and nocturnal broadcast i mean it i don't know if you've ever heard did you ever hear of a band called uh acidies burns wait yes yes yeah so they're actually from I'm pretty sure like somewhere on the North shore of Louisiana, if I'm remembering this correctly. And I feel like a lot of bands down here have some sort of inspiration from them because they kind of took off from Louisiana back in the, in the gap too. And uh, I, I, I guess, yeah, it's like melancholy, a little sad, um, still has it's like core, like pop structure elements, but I would, I would, I'd say we're probably still like, popular than most of the bands in mope wave if that makes any sense i guess it does well travis let's get to know you a little bit you grew up outside of new orleans yes uh yeah i was born in texas moved to california when i was like a little baby and then a bunch of family things happened and me and my mom ended up living in a little city called homa which is like an hour outside of new orleans What's it like there? I'm envisioning uh, some weeping willow trees blowing in the wind and uh, <laughs> some swamp land around. What's it look like? How is it? Honestly, that's like a beautiful way to um, describe it, you know, because. Oh, I love it. 
if you just had those elements, it, it would be like really perfect. And then you have to like deal with the smell, which negates like the beauty and all the cool essence that the swamp and moss trees and all that has. Cause then you have to like smell how like putrid the swamp smells, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's got its own charm. You know, it's homo is, um, at least when I was growing up in like my middle school, high school era, I feel like there was definitely like a bit of a local scene. We even made this like, well, not we, but like um, a friend of mine, Brenner, who actually plays in, um, I'll, I'll call them hardcore. Like they're in a band called Brat um, that's picking up some pretty good steam right now. Um, he used to run this a festival called Taco Fest. And we used to get like all the local bands from like the Nola Homa area. And um, we would set up this like stage tent event thing outside of like this random Taco Bell in Homa because the general manager just didn't care or were, was cool with everybody doing it, I guess. So, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it was it was fun. And how was it growing up for you? It sounds like it's just you and your mom in Homa. Was it difficult? Was it easy? Did you get along with other kids? Um, I would say that my mom definitely wasn't in an easy position because a lot of my mom's family is actually from like the California area. So when we moved out here, she was kind of on her own, like as far as trying to keep everything together. So I'd imagine that wouldn't be the easiest thing. I mean, we never grew up with like, you know, a lot of money or anything like we, you know, we live in a trailer and stuff. So it's like, we just made the best of uh, what we could. But I, I feel like kid wise, I was an only child. So for me, I was probably like, that really annoying, like weird kid that like was just trying to be in everyone's shit and just like know something just cause I guess when I was home, I must've been like so bored. <laughs> so, um, yeah. What was your thing growing up? Were you into music? Were you into other stuff? All right. I have like, there's like three small, uh, three small areas of what I was into, like from like, at least my best memory, uh, which is a childhood super in the dinosaurs and hot wheels. As I feel like yes. most kids were, I was, I don't even remember what any car is called now, but I, I bet you I was a lot smarter at it when I was like five. And then that transitioned into, I was really into wrestling for a minute. I remember <laughs> I was, I, I remember like me and this kid, I, I don't remember his name, but like we were so into like trying to, intimidate or yeah mock like wrestlers like we would like just like stuff ourselves with pillows and like attack each other and stuff it was <laughs> it was a little uh honestly a little shocking looking back at it i was like what's wrong with me but um eventually i think it was like fourth grade and uh i remember early on i was listening to music my mom would listen to and she was really into like depeche mo david bowie um tears for fears like all those like 80s pop bands the cure the smiths you know whoever and uh i remember like even though i liked some of it as i was getting into like later like elementary i started kind of rejecting it just for the sole premise that it was my parent listening to it and i was like nah i'm i'm not <laughs> i'm not going to listen to that kind of music but uh and i went through this weird phase where i was really into early 2000s like ringtone rap like like nelly and like 50 cent and mike jones and 
I, I really don't know what's happening. I even like had this jacket, I guess I made my mom buy me, which was like, it had like a speaker in the hood, but I literally could never use it because they didn't let you carry like iPhone or like whatever they were called. Little, uh, what are those little things you could download music on? Not an iPod, but before that? Yeah, yeah. I can't even remember the name right now. I had it, it you, all, you could literally only just store like audio in it, but uh, back when like LimeWire was in its heyday. But I had like a jacket for that and never use it. I just, I remember one time I even like lied to this kid and I was just like, yeah, I'm listening to music right now. And like, they were like, oh, that's cool. And I, and I just had nothing in, in my speaker. And I was, <laughs> I, so I, you're I, telling me the jacket had a hood that had a speaker in it. Yeah, yeah, and and it had a little wire that like ran through the arm sleeve where you could connect that little music download thing. I don't remember the name, but yeah. That sounds amazing. We have to find that jacket or we need to like get it back into production. <laughs> I know, I know. That'd, that'd be <laughs> sick. It, it, it'd give me, although like I always was wondering as I got older, like how would that fare in like a really bad storm? Like <laughs> if if the wiring would, you know, stay safe in the little hood or whatever. Let's call it. Let's make Casey. Let's make Casey make some iodine radio jackets. I think he would be into that. They would have to sell like hotcakes. They would have to. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're gonna bring that trend. <laughs> We're gonna bring that trend back. All you sixth graders <laughs> listening out there, remember jacket hoodies with speakers in them are coming back. So you're listening to a good mix of music. It sounds like Depeche Mode, David Bowie, early two thousands rap. What did you settle on? What was your realization moment with music? So I remember I was in uh, I was in sixth grade. I was about to like, I'm not sure how like the grade systems are set up in certain states, but for whatever reason down here, elementary is like kindergarten to sixth grade. And then middle school or junior high is like seventh to ninth. And then high school was just 10th to 12th. Yeah, they do that up here too for public schools. I remember being at the end of sixth grade. Uh, my friend Justin had got a guitar from his dad and he was like already really good at playing. And um, I remember him showing me like three chords on a guitar and I, I was blown away. Cause even though like I couldn't barely hold the chord together and like, I was just every time I'd strum it, it just sounded like fucking ass. Like for whatever reason I was like obsessed with it and I wanted to, I just wanted to kind of dive in and, and play it. So after that, I remember the first bands I started getting into. It it was like a weird mix. It was like I was getting into like early Seosin and like and Circus Survive and all that stuff. But then I was also like on the opposite end. I was like getting really into like deathcore, like like Job for a Cowboy and and like bands like the Crimson Armada and you know those those kind of like 2010s bands or whatever. So the that that was my range of music pretty much going through my middle school years. And I remember what finally did it in for me. And this is a really funny story, but like I was, it was in eighth grade and um, I was, I got invited to join this like church youth, I guess, social class or some, some crap that was like, they would do it every Thursday. And the teacher who was running it was like, okay, kids, we're going to have our first christian rock show and uh everybody was like oh that's sick because we were like in seventh or eighth grade and we're like they're gonna have a band play at the school like awesome well i guess they didn't like do their research but they hired this band that 
was a Christian band. They were, they were called like I Am Terrified. I'm not sure if you had heard of them, but they were a band from Alabama. I think they were signed to Goatee Records or whatever down here. And this was like a like heavy like that heavy like a uh, spastic under oath metalcore kind of style Christian metal or whatever. So and I didn't know what to expect either. So when the show started after school, I remember like the teacher and the principals were all sitting there and the band gets on this trailer that the school like made for them to play on. And I knew a couple people in the school like must have like heard them through like MySpace or something because the second the first feedback of the guitar happened, I was like, what the hell is about to happen? And they just started like going fucking crazy. And all these middle school kids just started like moshing and hitting the fuck out of each other. And <laughs> I remember the principals and everybody just started freaking out. And they were like, what, what, what is happening? And like, they started ta- <laughs> tackling kids to the ground. And like, it was like a full on like war zone. And, and meanwhile, this band's like semi trying to like talk about the Lord and like, be like, come on kids. <laughs> like, so I literally that, that moment on, I was like, damn, that was the coolest shit ever. Like I'm gonna, I want to be in a band now. Wow. That is great. Yeah. I, I mean, the first time I truly witnessed that craziness too, I was hooked. That was it. And when I saw that my friends were in bands doing the same thing, I was like, wait, like we can do this. It's possible. I need to do this. Oh yeah. Yeah. It a hundred percent. I don't know. Like it was the first time I felt like the energy that I guess the only child in me like wanted to like experience. And I felt like there was so much time of always just being alone and like being with my own thoughts that when I saw that, I was like, damn, this is the first time I feel like I can be in something that is going to completely like take away like all the weird like thoughts that go through my brain on the regular, you know? Oh, I know. I'm like still there right now at 40 years old. (laughs) I don't think, I don't, I don't think it ever changes. I think we just learn how to handle those like demons better, you know? Yeah, I've learned how to manifest those bad voices or bad thoughts or whatever bad things going on and just channel them through creative pursuits. And I've done all of them over the last few years. Do you do you find the same thing for yourself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I'm sure we'll get farther along the story of of my life later. But uh, yeah, those trials and tribulations definitely come in like various ways and forms throughout like various parts of like, you know, my life. And uh, I'm learning the more and more I get older that, that it's being aware of those thoughts and things. That's like the most beneficial thing to have versus questioning why they're happening, I guess. Yeah. Talk about some of that. Lay, lay it out for us, Travis. Um, so just for a little backstory, I was never, I was never like, um, I guess a drug addict to the point where I was like hospitalized or whatever, but there was a mo there was a lot of moments growing up as a, um, as a teenager where on one end, like I was trying to like, I guess, save face and like be on this like youth ministry team as a teenager and like, you know, make good impressions on people. But then like on the other side, on the same time, I was literally like doing opiates every day, like, you know, getting into Zanbars eventually that turned into like really wanting to get on uppers because Zanbars were like pulling me too far down. And, uh, I honestly feel like I spiraled more 
in my decade of being a teenager than I have at all in like my twenties. And so I feel like, like what's helped me like get past that is, uh, realizing that like, you know, like when I meditate or try to like sit there and think about things, trying to avoid those thoughts is a much worse thing to do than to just, you know, come to terms and like be aware of like, I guess that the issues or the addictions that like you want to have. No, you're speaking my language here because I struggled with the same thing basically from age 18 to 35, you know, in various degrees. So there was a very long, long process of getting to where I am today. But for you, Travis, so it was mostly during your teenage years that this was going on? Yeah. um, I was going to say, like, I remember it started, it sounds so like I'm like advocating those like anti-weed commercials or something, but uh, I'm not. But it, it started off like, you know, I was 12 or 13 and I was, you know, wanting to party and drink because like I was in this thing where because I play, I was getting into music and I was trying to like sing and stuff. I was always around people that were like a little bit older than me. So like when I was 13, you know, I'd be hanging out or at least trying to hang out with like 17 or 18 year olds or people that were like already like hitting their senior year and stuff. So like, I just remember starting off like, you know, drinking alcohol and smoking weed. And eventually I I went down that rabbit hole with opiates and then went into like doing any forms of uppers I could find. And I think, I mean, I haven't completely like gone full sober, but I, I think my last stop on like the train of like the drug spree was I was 18 and I was starting to get so like burnt out on a, on just doing uppers and downers and like, you know, whatever I could find that I started doing like psychedelics a lot. And, uh, and for a minute that actually kind of helped, but then, you know, the same thing as like smoking weed, like even if something's not a, a physical addiction, like it can still become this like mental problem for you. And like, I started getting really twacked out, like doing acid every weekend until my tolerance would like go away. And, uh, and so it, it really, yeah, it really wasn't until I was 20. And, you know, this is the part where most people are like, you know, I got saved or I did something that like miraculously like changed my life. For me, it was actually the fact that I got offered like a full-time job to work at like Kellogg's to be like a sales rep. And I remember in my head, like, I was like, damn, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get something lucky like this again, but they needed me to, uh, take a piss test and stuff. So that actually, that really small moment kind of like made me, uh, try to cold Turkey. And for the first two years, I definitely went insane, like trying to fight those urges and work at Kellogg's. But, uh, you know, I think that was the turning point for me. Do I still do stuff every so often? Yeah, sure. You know, we all have our vices, but I'm definitely not what I could have been. How old were you when you got that job at Kellogg's? I think I was like 19 and it was weird because uh, it was me. I was working at Kellogg's part-time just being like a stalker. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember my friend's mom, Deborah worked for the company like some, like in her own territory. And she told me that there was a sales rep position opening up and that I should apply. And, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Like, I don't know anything about pie graphs or like whatever the fuck they were trying to talk about, but, I was like, okay, let's do it. So I applied 
And I actually didn't get it at first. There was this lady that was like 50 years old and was super qualified and, you know, had a, um, a background in sales. And apparently a week later, I got a call from like the head of our department and he was like, yeah, so she failed her background check. And, uh, I was like, Oh, and he was like, so do you still like want to do this? And I was like, sure. (laughs) So I took that and ran with it for like three years. Um, just pretty much pretending I knew what was going on and trying to make what money I could. The job was enough to get you to stop this cycle of drug taking. I guess it wasn't just the job solely, but I think it was that at the time I took the job. I remember moving out into this like rent house with, uh, you know, some friends of mine. And I, I just like, I guess I like towered myself with a bunch of like financial responsibilities that I never tried doing before. Cause I was too busy just trying to like, you know, I guess quote unquote have fun. But I think it was a mixture of that. And then ironically enough, Kellogg's was a time, a time where I was kind of almost giving up on the idea of music. I had a different band and we're all, you know, I'm still friendly and we, we all cool with each other. But at the time we were just all doing drugs. And anytime we'd play shows, we'd pretty much, you know, just take the money at the gig and split it and just, you know, buy drinks or do whatever it just so i just started feeling like there was nothing really growing out of it so when i got that full-time job i really started like second guessing myself and thinking maybe i shouldn't be in the music industry you know you're in this other band you're getting this job you think you're not going to be doing music anymore what was the turning point how did you get involved again we all got laid off Literally, like. This is, uh, I guess, I'll give as best of a backstory to the beginning of the Hey Thanks origins as I can. But um, I was working at Kellogg's and my other bands was playing a show at a bar in Homa. And Hey Thanks had actually started already as a band in that same year. Uh, I think it was around like 2016 or something. And uh, they actually, one of the old guitarists, had DM'd me asking if my band wanted to play a show with them at uh, this bar in Homa. And I remember I was like, you know, I was still kind of, you know, playing around drugs every so often dabbling. Um, But we got to this bar and like, I remember like, Hey, thanks brought this like huge crowd to this bar. Like it was packed out. And I was like looking at my bandmates and I was like, damn, I was like, who, who are these people? And, uh, <laughs> and I remember the first impression that, um, they had of me was the guy who tripped over his mic cable and started spazzing out in the ground while he was singing. Cause that's like, <laughs> that was how I was in my old band. I was just really like, uh, I guess fucking crazy. And, uh, so then come six months later after that show, my job tells me that they're laying off our entire department. Like they're completely getting rid of like uh, all our trucks, all the, like, I guess the way it works is uh, Kellogg's used to have a department that was like, we had our own warehouses. And so any products that Kellogg's owned would go to, you know, our warehouse and our trucks would deliver it to like Rouse's or Walmart or whatever. And uh, at the, the pre- I guess the new president or whoever was with the company 
was like, yeah, I think it'd be a lot more cost efficient if we just got rid of our warehouses and our truck drivers and just sent it directly to Walmart's warehouse. And then everybody was like, oh, so like, what does that mean? And he was like, well, you all have six months to figure out a new job because you're all getting laid off. And I was like, oh, shit. And that was at the time I was still in that rent house. And, you know, I was only like 20 or 21, I think. Um, so I kind of started like getting a little panicky. And then in the same week, one of the uh, band members um, that used to be in Hey Thanks uh, messaged me and was like, hey, are you looking to like play music with other bands? And in my head, I was like, what, what do you mean? And then some, they started explaining to me that they got a record deal offer um, from Pure Noise Records. And I and so in my head, I was like, oh, shit. I was like, 100%. I was like, yeah. And then I was like, what happened to the old singer? And uh, they were like, yeah, the label pretty much said that uh, on an email that if we wanted to work with them, they were asking if we'd reconsider certain members. And I was like, damn. And I was like, what did the singer say? And they were like, he seems like really cool with it. Like he like almost like he wants to go or something. So I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. So now I'm back on my hype train. I'm losing my job, but like I'm in this band that's like, they just played, uh, I think the year that I wasn't with the band, they had won like the warp tour competition. So they played like the new Orleans warp tour. They had just got a gig where they're like, they were opening for like Metro station, which is funny that I saw Trey Cyrus. Cause that's, He's very tall, way taller than I imagined him being. But so I said, yeah, because I was really hyped. And then to, I guess, like to summarize, like the, they found out that the late, the email was fake. Like somebody created a fake email claiming they were Jake from Pure Noise. And I think somebody in the band had actually found one of the emails for Pure Noise and asked if this was like, legitimate and pure noise records literally was like no like this isn't us at all so the band was like super discouraged they even like were coming at me because you know none of them really knew me and they were like look if you don't want to be in this band anymore i totally understand and they were like i would not want to do this shit if like that i just threw everything to like i guess get told something that wasn't true think about how crazy that is someone took the time to email the band have them get rid of a singer, possibly other members, and then you join the band and it's all fake. Like, how did they figure out who did that? Did, was there any explanation? I mean, what what was going on? It's still a fucking mystery to this day. The only thing oh God. that we know is that there was one other artist in Lafayette that also got an email from the same email claiming about some deal with Pure Noise and like, so I think we tried getting to the bottom of it to figure out who was behind it, but we never, never found an answer. And like, it, it just kind of faded away over time, but it, it was weird. And then like, I, I think there was one moment where we were like, man, did the old singer do this maybe? Or like, did he like send a fake email himself to like kick himself out of the band or something? Cause like, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like someone, someone orchestrated this for reasons. Yeah. So but then I guess the thing that didn't make sense is that I was like, if it was a singer, I was like, why did another band get an email with the same thing too? So it was just a lot of detective stuff that needs to be done. If there's anybody in the FBI listening right now, you have a job. So start. 
Travis, I have an idea. A podcast spinoff, The Pure Noise Email Mystery, hosted by us. And we, we get to the bottom of it. What do you think? Uh, I'm totally down. Um, All right. Know. We're, we're going to talk after the show for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I think we still have those emails maybe stored somewhere in like the archives of the Hey Thanks email. So we'll see. There you go. That's episode one. So you stay with the band, obviously, right? Yeah. I said, fuck y'all. I just lost my job. I have nowhere else to go either. When did you join the band? How long ago was this? What year was this? So the band started like early 2016 and I joined, I think they asked me to join in January of 2017. So it was literally like a year after they had formed. And um, if you do some deep diving, if you look up New Noise Magazine or go on YouTube, there is one song by Hey Thanks that still has the old singer. It's a whole music video, but it's on a different music video producer's page. So we can't actually like take it down. But yeah, I joined in 2017 and did my first little three show run with them in like March of 2017, I think. And how was it acclimating into the band? Was it difficult at all? Did you have enough experience that it was pretty seamless? How was it? I think as far as experience, I had been playing in bands Um, You know, like I said, after that eighth grade incident, I actually joined my first band like in ninth grade. And uh, from that moment on, like I was in various little bands here and there. So I I definitely was experienced being um, a front man. But the only thing that I wasn't experienced with was, uh, I guess, being in a band where people like actually wanted to try and take shit serious. And, uh, you know... And being in a band where like I had to, I guess, give musical input because up until this band or like, you know, my solo stuff that I always write, every other band I was in, I was a front man, but like, I never really like gave my opinion about how the bands would write or do their, their songs. And I honestly was kind of the same way with, Hey, thanks. When I first joined. Yeah, because you don't want to come in right away and be like, hey, you do this or hey, you do that. You got to feel it out. Yeah, exactly. And and honestly, I wasn't really I wasn't really a huge fan of like pop punk at the time. And I think, you know, the old early sounds of Hey Thanks was a lot more in that niche of like the story so far, neck deep and all those like modern-esque kind of like pop punk bands. And, uh, and that really wasn't like, I guess, my tea. So when I started playing with them, of course, I had to learn like the old songs that the old singer had because that's all the material the band had. And uh, it was a little strange for me because it definitely felt like it didn't really fit or suit my voice, um, if that makes any sense. That does make sense. So how did you get to a point where you felt it did suit your voice? I think, um, and you know, this is honestly really recent, but uh, I think after we recorded our second EP with uh, Gary Sione, in like 2019 and we dropped it i think from that recording experience once we started writing production for this this record coming out i think it's the one i took like a very like huge leap of charge in as far as like writing because after gary i i literally bought ableton i bought a daw i bought like a bunch of production stuff my own like piano so i could have a midi roll and i just started like really getting into uh getting into like production and writing because it it just was so interesting to me and i spent most of the time 
writing out the demos to the record on my computer because it was just, I just had so much material and so much time to do it. Um, so I, I'd say like 2020 was like, you know, the start of the pandemic was like really when it all like cranked up a gear. So you used the pandemic time to really focus on the music writing. Yeah. I, I mean, we definitely were writing some of these demos before the pandemic too. We went record this record actually um, in 2020 with Gary Sione and we actually tracked it the month that the pandemic was like officially becoming like a lockdown type of situation. And we, uh, we were actually really nervous cause we were in New Jersey at the time. So we were, I mean, we had scheduled to be out there for almost a month to record it, but we couldn't make trips to stores together. Like we had to like get one person to go in Gary's car and like get all the groceries for the studio. So that way, like, you know, everybody could be as safe as we possibly could be. It's like the sacrificial lamb. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and you know, if they don't come back. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of The Mist. Do you ever see that movie? Ooh, I saw that when I was a kid, but I do not remember. It's like it. you're sending one person out to face the monsters and hopefully they come <laughs> back. <laughs> that, that's straight up. But I was happy about it because, uh, you know, I was like, at least in like farmland, New Jersey, people are probably a little bit more considerate than uh, I would say a lot of people are down here. Because, you know, we have a lot of... Uh, anti-vaxxers and people that are very timid of of anything that goes against the grain of their reality i guess okay so we recorded start living back in 2020 you're telling me oh yeah it was uh this record has honestly like and that's just the recording time since it's finally been released but like i said some of these demos were started in like early 2019 so this honestly these songs have been in the making for like almost three years. Wow. So did you have plans with a label or was the plan we're going to record these songs and send them out to labels and see who bites? That, uh, the second one you said, that was, uh, that was the original plan because this record was definitely a huge chunk of, of an expense for us personally, just because, you know, we don't all live the most luxurious lives and, you know, Louisiana minimum wage, seven twenty five, but, uh, we we tried to bite to a couple labels. Gary tried helping us send it out too. We we actually, funny enough, like sent it to Pure Noise again to see what they would say. And uh and they, you know, they said that they really dug the record, but that, you know, for us being a newer band at the time, you know, it was still like heavy pandemic. They were like, you know, we don't know if we would want to take the risk of a band we have no idea, you know, like what the traction would be. Not a good time for an, uh, new investments. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I remember Gary had told me he like uh, they had told him to tell us that we should try just self releasing and see see if it like picks up anything. So eventually, we uh, that's kind of what we ended up doing. Um, we start we self released from me to you, and uh, we had put out the music video actually back in uh, June of last year, and then. It was August and we were literally two weeks away from dropping um, this small space. And then Casey um, sent us an email because I think him and Gary had got in touch with each other. And yeah, and then we had to hurry up and fucking take down small space from our distributor and like <laughs> backpedal everything we thought was going to happen. That's a great surprise though, right? And of course, folks, we're talking about Casey Iodine of Iodine Recordings. And if you don't know already... Hey Thanks' debut LP, Start Living, 
will be releasing May 27th. Yes? Yes, I hope so. Unless there's tragic nuclear warfare and the planet gets destroyed. Well, that better not happen because I got to tell you, I was hooked immediately upon hearing both singles that are out there right now. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. And Travis, I would go as far as to say, this is going to be one of my favorite records of 2022. What do you think of that? Oh, shit. My my <laughs> my, my humble answer is, that is very sweet. And uh, for anybody to say that is honestly shocking. Now, my comedic answer would be, why? <laughs> <laughs> I love, I just, listen, it doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes I hear a new band and I get that hit. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you feel it, you feel feelings, you listen to it over and over again. I love what you guys are doing because I'm really into emo, post-hardcore type music, but you guys do a different spin on it where it's really polished and it has these great pop sensibilities. Talk about that a little bit. What's some of your influence? How do you shape it? How do you make it what it is? Oh, it's it's crazy because I feel like this record is really a showcase of like all the elements of music we enjoy, like emo, pop, um, alternative, a little bit of that that alternative 90s era. I feel like we wanted to make a record that we could pull a large sound pool from and and like we wanted to like be able to express that fluently through the entirety of the record without anything. So like when you listen to it, some songs really like if you listen to like track five versus like track 12, they're like super different. But at the same time, if you're listening to the record, like through its entirety, it almost feels like at the same time, like they make sense together, like being on the same record. And I I feel like that's our biggest thing is we wanted to have our debut record be something that shows we're more than just like, you know, I guess your typical generic pop punk, like hook band or like straight pop act or a straight emo act. Like we just kind of wanted to, I guess, be as much of us as we could be. Cause when I think about music or bands, I always like the idea of like, when I hear a band, the first thing I think of is their name before I think of their genre. That's kind of how I feel about um, the strokes or like, you know, I feel like some, there's some bands out there that even though you can pinpoint, I guess, direction and narrative of where they're going, sometimes people just learn how to manipulate a sound bank to sound completely original, I guess, like themselves. Right. Because I was thinking about this earlier today because everyone was talking about Nirvana versus Foo Fighters because of the tragic passing of Taylor Hawkins. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, Nirvana, like these chords have been played before. Plenty of bands have done this, but somehow they took it and turned it into this massive thing. It's it's just so fascinating what different people can do with the same sounds. Yeah, definitely so. I, I mean, that's, I feel like what every band should at least want to aspire to be is like, you know, something that wasn't, them intentionally trying to think about anything, you know, they were just trying to be themselves in the moment and play purely what their heart wanted to play. And um, I feel like that's what this record hopefully tells people when they, they listen to it and shout out to Gary, Brett and Mike for 
all really, uh, I guess, bringing the vision to life because they, I feel like, you know, a song can be a hit, but what's a song without the production behind it too? Exactly, exactly. And I think you guys are on to something here and I can't wait to hear more. I just really appreciate good songwriting. You know, I'm older now. I don't have as much time to listen to everything and my patience gets less and less each year. And you guys have great songs and great song structure. Like you ever go see a band and you just don't even know what they're doing? Like, I, I don't know. I just, I just always appreciate good song structure. Oh yeah. And honestly, this is, I mean, I don't mean to be over praising Gary, but Gary was honestly uh, recording the first EP with him. That was honestly like a life-changing song structure thing for me. Cause I always had this bad habit when I was a teenager, um, two bad habits, actually. One was that I realized any song I was ever on, as far as like it being recorded, very rarely would I ever try to hit people with a third chorus. Like I always had this habit of like writing a two verse, two chorus, and then just this crazy bridge that like doesn't have anything else to do with the rest of the song. And, you know, it was cool in its own sense, but, Gary really like the first EP we did, he really like tore down some of the, those songs and was like, yo, this whole section could make a lot more sense being an intro than being this like second verse after the second verse, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely a life changing moment for songwriting, at least for me personally. That's good. And that's good that you were open to it too, because that could be a tense situation where someone's like, hey, rearrange this thing all around. And, you know, it, it, it could be difficult to hear. Oh, absolutely. I think the only thing I still struggle with that I did get through a lot better this last time around is uh, I I had a really big problem with demo-itis, you know, where like you, you work on a demo for so long that your ears just like become adjusted to like some of the sounds and the things that you want. and uh. Uh, it was another like slap on the wrist Gary had to give me. He was like, yo, he was like, we're here to just like, we're here to write it in the studio and like make it what it is here, you know? And, uh, and it was valid because a year later after I finally did a side by side comparison, I was like, holy shit, these demos sound horrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I try to do as well. Like when I'm writing with people, I can get stuck on, no, the song is done. That's it. And sometimes people will want to add things and it makes the song 10 times better. And sometimes people will want to add things and it it's just unnecessary. So I guess you just have to work through it. That's the whole point of being in a band, right? Working together. Oh, yeah. And I feel like we do a really good job at letting each other have space whenever ideas come together that we all agree with. Like, um, you know, sometimes there might be a song I write drums out for or like I, you know, I play guitar for or something and uh and sometimes you know the band or whoever hears it they might love it the way it is in pre-production and like want to stick with that play style other times there's like you know parts that maybe two people in the band are like yo we i think we could like take this section and and make it something different and uh and you know honestly eight times out of ten it ends up being better anyway so here's a question have you ever written something and you wanted someone in the band to play something the way you wanted them to play it, but they just wouldn't do it. I not particularly that, but I did have a thing where like when we would first, when we first hit the studio with Gary or with, uh, 
or even the last record. I used to have this thing, and this is because in my old band, the old drummer I had, he was one of those drummers where like he was so meticulous about like the fills and like the small things he did that like mm-hmm. every time he would do takes, he'd just play it the same exact way. So in my head, I thought I was like, okay, so that's how you have to do it. Cause I, I didn't know how to play drums until I was like 19 or 20. And so when I got into this band and we got in the studio, you know, Trevor, like he's super good and he's super solid at, you know, staying on the tempo and doing fills and shit. But there would be like, there'd be like a session where or like three different takes where like, he would just like do a different fill like for each one. And I remember at first I would get kind of like, I get aggravated because I'd be like, well, if we only have one type of take for this one type of fill, I was like, how, how do we know we can make it perfect? And then, and then I realized over time I was like, no, I was like, we could just comp it. And like, you know, having a variety of fills is actually like funner to like play through than being meticulous about every little thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's still the same song and still the same tempo, I guess you can kind of experiment a little bit. Yeah. That's definitely what being in a band helps me with. Cause as a, as a writer, sometimes I do struggle with, you know, getting a song mapped out on my own and then like having a little bit of like that internal control issue with it. And I don't, I, I don't obviously like ever take it outwardly on anybody, but I can definitely feel, you know, that feeling internally sometimes. And I know that if it's stressing me out internally that I need to like try and make peace with it because like that's still stressing me out. Yeah, I get really stressed with songwriting. It can be difficult. It's easier for me to do with other people. And I can write a verse and a chorus like nobody's business, but I'm really bad at bridges. You know, I need I need help from other people to fill in the rest. Oh, yeah. Bridge, bridges bridges are an interesting thing. There's like so many directions the bridge can go. And, you know, sometimes it's fun to have those like super extended bridges that just like, you know, go in all different directions. But uh, yeah, I, I, that's like, I feel like the bridge is the key part of a song where like, it's like the time to truly experiment with the most, if that makes any sense. It absolutely does. Well, you've got the record coming out in May, barring any unforeseen nuclear wars. What else do we have coming up? Do we have tours? Do we have good shows? You know, things are opening back up now. Restrictions are lifted in some places. What's going on? Um, We are playing a a local show in New Orleans next month. Uh, We're also playing the Community Furnace Fest event for the it's like the pre-release party for stretch armstrong's like release and that's going to be in like south carolina i'm not i don't remember that location but and i we have some other tours that are in the works right now being planned out but nothing is like set in stone yet so just you know keep an eye out this summer and stuff will start popping up Yes, you have to. I'm excited to see the band. I know I'm going to get to at some point. I don't know when exactly, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen, Travis. We want to make it up there. You know, uh, like I said, there has to be one of these podcasts where, uh, you know, we co-host and we video stream it and it's it's uh, we're in the same room. We look like the, the breakfast club or something like we're all on a table together. And Oh, that would be great. You should see my setup. I've got a microphone with a metal arm on my desk. I've got three computers in front of me. I've got uh, all the streamer lights on my back wall. It's crazy what's going on over here. It's an e- evil, evil laboratory. I kind of imagine like one day we get one member from every iodine band to get at this big circle table and like 
I we're kind of like the villains of like the world and just like but but we're doing like a podcast together and we can all <laughs> all wear like funny costumes or something. I'm into that. I'm into that. Oh yeah, you know what? I like the aesthetics of Hey Thanks too in the video from me to you. I like the style, the appearance that's going on. You know, it's very unique cuz I'm into that. I'm into clothing, I'm into style. I dig it. I like what you guys are doing. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, we uh you know, we we haven't always been the best with fits, but I feel like the biggest thing we wanted to like challenge ourselves with for this record is being a little bit more, um, I guess, a little bit more out there with like the clothes we choose to wear. Because we lately, even me, like I was the worst for it, but I used to dress in your typical like baseball tee with blue jeans and like not really paying any mind to like you know I looked like a what the true emo looks like. Um, yep. But in the last like four or five years, I just, I've really been trying to up my aesthetic game. And honestly, for these new sets of clothes I have, I have to thank my uh, girlfriend, Amy, for really hooking me up at the thrift stores and finding like the coolest shit. I love that. That's great. Yeah. I've got some, some great wardrobe. It's all black, but you know, it's, it's all expensive black stuff. So there you go. Yes, yes. Pirate King. <laughs> the Pirate King. I got I got a little frilly uh a little frilly uh kind of peacoat thing that looks like something a pirate would wear in my closet. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, I have two winter jackets. I've got one black peacoat and then I've got one long uh tweed looking thing that's good for more business oriented affairs. It's 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 crazy what's going on over here. But see, that makes sense because you like live in New York. You got to think about it. Like, why do I have a pea coat in my closet? I live in a place where it's boiling. You can cook eggs on the ground. Um, <laughs> it, it gets chaotic out here. And yet I'm going to wear a pea coat. Have you ever actually had an opportunity to wear the pea coat? I mean, how cold does it get down there? Um, well, at least speaking for like this year and what I can remember of last year, I feel like February and like late January is when it gets the coldest. But even then, it's like, it might get to thir- the 30s and it's not freezing, but we do have like so much humidity in the air that the wind chills sometimes feel horrible. Like it just feels like you're getting like whiplashed with like these like sweaty gusts of wind. I, I don't know. I haven't really honestly like when I wear pea coats and stuff like that, sometimes I genuinely have to like wear it like it's a fit, like I'm going to like a club or something, you know, <laughs> you know, I, it's, yeah. it's not even for like practical uses. Yeah. Like up here, it gets so cold. My jackets aren't warm at all, but they look so good. I just have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? So Travis, you've got this record coming out in May. You're young exciting things are happening. You've got the whole world ahead of you. What are you looking forward to? What's the plan? Or do you not think about that really? Well, in the words of Joe Dispenza and various other gurus of meditation, I think it's fun to think about an unforeseeable future or sometimes not so fun to get stuck in the past that's already happened. But I feel like most of the time when you're like so focused, like in the present moment, like sometimes the future just kind of will present itself in, you know, those weird types of synchronicities and other things that you, you kind of knew were going to happen, but you still weren't sure of, you know? So like, I feel like I live more in the present than I've ever done in my life, but I've always have a vision to 
be the biggest band in the world. So, well, I think it's going to happen, Travis. After Start Living comes out, like I said on a previous episode of the show, if your band doesn't blow up, the world is just a cruel and unkind and unpleasant place because I absolutely love what you guys are doing and I wish you all the best. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Absolutely. And Travis, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm looking forward to hearing more and I'm looking forward to catching the band live at some point. Yes, hopefully we'll make that Northeast run up there soon so we don't force you to fly down here. Yeah, I just don't want to do it. I don't like going places, you know? Also, shout out to like two Travises living in New Orleans. Travis from Pieball. Travis yes, here. you got the Travises are holding it down in New Orleans. I love it. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. There you have it, folks. Travis Opal. That was a great conversation. It was really nice to talk to Travis and hear more about Hey Thanks because Casey, I discovered them fairly recently through you and the label, of course, and I love the band, like I told Travis. And he just had a lot of great stories. That whole thing with the fake Pure Noise record email, which just still completely blows my mind, and his journey about dealing with addiction and then, you know, joining Hey Thanks and coming through everything successfully. I'm really happy for him. I'm really happy for the band, and I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, that was actually the first time I heard the fake label story about Pure Noise, and um, I, I was cracking up, and I was thinking we should really mess with them and like send an email saying that this whole iodine thing was fake from the beginning. And they're, <laughs> they're not actually on a label. Tell them they have to switch singers again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think it was cool uh, talking to him just because, you know, they're so young and, you know, they're, they're just really at the beginning of their career. And I think a lot of the guests that come on the show are kind of, you know, either mid career or, um, you know, in a lot of cases sort of towards the end of their careers. And for the label, it was kind of, you know, planned where we were kind of falling into this trap of, you know, signing all these artists that have been around for 20 plus years. Uh, Cause that was what we knew and that was what felt comfortable and familiar. And a lot of people had, I don't want to say criticized, but, you know, when, when we were kind of getting the label up and running, they're like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta think about some new blood and think about some younger acts. Cause that's going to be the future of the label. And uh, shout out to a friend of mine, uh, Darren Thompson. He's in a band called Down Talker. He had connected me with uh, producer Gary Sioni, who Travis talked about in the interview. And Gary had just said, hey, I just finished in the studio with this band. They don't have a label yet. They're going to be huge. They, you know, I think he even said it was the best record he's ever recorded. And as soon as I heard it, it was like this instant, you know, yeah, like, I think we sent them a contract within a week of hearing the record. Wow. Um, and, you know, we, we met with them a few times over video chats and um, talked about, you know, their touring prospects and things like that. But just everyone in that band was so nice and so energetic and so motivated. Um, I just had that, that gut feeling that this was a good move all around. And um, I think anyone that's heard the record has just been impressed with just how talented they are and 
how polished the record sounds. And I think they appeal to, you know, a lot of different audiences, you know, not, not only kind of that emo world, but, you know, they, they have a lot of pop sensibilities and, um, you know, there's, there's something for everybody there. Absolutely. It hooked me. I still have this small space in my head from the first time I heard it. And I, I gotta say one thing. He didn't say it in this interview, but, uh, Travis did an interview with another podcast a few weeks ago. And I was listening to it and they asked him on the show, you know, hey, congrats on signing to Iodine. You know, they've done some great stuff. Were you a fan of the label back when they were kind of at their height? And he says, well, no, because I wasn't born yet. (laughs) (laughs) I I called him right after and I was like, I can't believe you did that. You made me feel so old. That's so fucked up. I'm actually surprised he wasn't born in what, 2003? Uh, I mean, I think he, I don't know what year he was born, but you know, I, th- I think it was the early 2000s. So I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he was thinking like 98, 99 when the label first started. I'm guessing he was born in 2000 or 2001, something in that range. He wasn't old enough to comprehend the label yet. Let's say that. That'll make us feel better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so thanks so much, Travis. Can't wait to hear the record. Casey, I haven't heard the whole record yet. I don't get an advanced copy. There's no, is there a secret uh, SoundCloud link or something I can hear? I'll start, I'll start putting you on the distribution list for that stuff. But it, it's, it's crazy because it, most of the tracks we've dropped so far are kind of in that, you know, very emo indie pop realm. And this record is actually really diverse and they bring in some electronic music into it. You know, there's, there's definitely some highs and lows. And I just think people are going to be really impressed with, you know, just the album as a whole, not just the individual tracks. So how are we doing, Casey? Let's check in. Yeah. I, w- I want to know how you're doing, Keith. I, let, let's talk about you for a minute. Wait, you, you want to start by asking yeah, me how I'm doing? I want to know how you're doing. Wow. I can't believe. Oh, well, Okay. I'm doing great. Like you mentioned, we've got two big months coming up for the show if everything stays in place, so that makes me very excited. I finally got back on Twitch and am streaming again after months of absence. I don't know. I just I actually got motivated again after seeing Emily from Survival Guide. I dropped into her stream and I was like, "Hey, this looks fun. Everybody's hanging out. Let me do this again." So I've been doing that regularly. I don't know if it'll hold because, you know, it's a lot to do the show and be on Twitch four nights a week, but we'll see. I've got the new TikTok up. I've got the new YouTube clips channel up, and I had been putting that off for a long time because I'm lazy, but they're up, they're done, they're ready. And personally, I'm good. I'm just working and living and hanging out and getting outside, and I really don't have any complaints. Everything is great. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. How about you? Just busy. Um, th- things with the label have really taken off and, you know, it's it's exciting, but it's hard. You know, I think people think of labels as, you know, being this cool, fun thing where you're hanging out with bands all the time and that it couldn't be further from the truth. It's it, There's a lot of groundwork that we have to do to keep things going and getting releases planned for the future. Um, but I did something for myself last night. I actually drove uh, up to Maryland and I saw Ritual Earth play last night. And that was actually the first time I've seen them, uh, which is crazy since they're on the label and um, hung out with those guys and, and caught up a bit. But other than that, you know, just uh, working on a, a few more releases for 2022 and we're already building out the calendar for 2023. 
And I think we've already got 10 releases scheduled for 2023 and we haven't even finished 2022 yet. I know it's that that's why I was saying, like, I feel like the label is bigger now than it, than it was 20 years ago. This year we will surpass all, you know, in just pure numbers, the number of releases we released in total from, you know, the label's original um, time. So, you know, it's, it's cool. And, you know, I think, um, we're kind of ending this year on a high note with Furnace Fest and the Fest down in Florida. Um, we've got eight bands playing the Florida Fest, and we've got three bands playing Furnace Fest, and one of which isn't announced yet. So uh, stay tuned for that. I wonder how you find the time to even run the label. You have a career, and the label is just with the the amount of bands and conversations you must have and everything you do. How do you do it? Do you sleep at all? Sometimes no. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there are times like you'll send me graphic requests for this show and I'm, I'm up at two in the morning, you know, trying to crank them out. Cause, uh, you know, one, honestly, my least favorite thing about keeping the label going is the social media presence. That is something that I hope one of these days I can outsource. And it's hard because it's, it's probably the most you know, important part of connecting with fans and making sure everyone's aware of what is happening. Uh, but it takes so much time out of the day. And, um, you know, not only, you know, interacting with posts, but actually spending the time to create the graphics and get them uploaded. So it's, um, it's just challenging because I feel like I'm spending so much time on my phone or on the computer. And, you know, I, I think that as time goes on, I need to figure out ways to either automate some of that stuff or just find help in, you know, running those aspects of the label. How was the Ritual Earth show? Where was it? It was good. It was uh, in a small town in Maryland. Uh, I think it was run by the folks that do the Maryland Doom Fest. Um, it, it was a small show, but they they killed it. They need to be playing on bigger stages, like in stadiums, not, you know, small uh, bar venues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they'll get there. They're they're getting a lot of hype right now in that kind of that do metal world. So um, it's just a matter of time. Well, folks, that's all we've got. That's it. We hope everyone out there is doing great. We're doing great. There's a new episodes every week, Mondays, 9 a.m. Be here. There's exciting things happening in the world of the new scene and iodine recordings. So keep those Apple podcast and Spotify reviews coming. I have to get over 100. I have to, or Casey is going to remove me from the show. He actually told me that before we started recording, right, Casey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, that, that's direct from his mouth himself, and you don't want that to happen. So, folks, thank you for your continued support. We're back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and until next time. Yay!